Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Numbers 21. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 9. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Our Father, we thank you for your holy written word, knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions. As we study it together, we invite the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost upon us to anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to be properly opened unto the word that the word would take root in our hearts and produce fruit in our lives, that we would go forth as doers of the word and not hearers only. I thank you for utterance to proclaim with boldness and accuracy the word of life that makes us free. And Father, we'll be quick to give you all the praise and honor for all that's accomplished through the teaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, before I get into it, did you ever notice there in verse 7 that they considered sin to be speaking against the Lord and against his servants? Did you notice that in verse 7? The people said, we have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Very often we define sin as being something that we see people doing in the physical realm and sometimes forget that the sins of the tongue are deadly. These people were bitten by serpents because they rebelled against God by speaking against Him and speaking against those that He placed in charge of certain ministries. And as a result, of course, they were bitten by these serpents and many died. Well, that aside, although it is a part of it, I want to state that this particular incident, that is Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, is one of the most important incidents in the Pentateuch. Doesn't matter what perspective you view it from, it's an important incident. For example, from the Jewish perspective, it's an absolutely essential and important incident. Why? Well, if you'll just read Exodus, you don't have to turn to it, but if you read Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, 
you'll discover that one of the Ten Commandments included that they were not allowed to make any kind of image whatsoever and then look at it, worship it, or do anything to it. God, He forbade that type of activity. It was forbidden. But yet here we see Jehovah God making an exception to His own commandment telling them to go ahead and make a brazen serpent, lift it up on a pole, and then have the people look at it. Now why in the world would God say to do something like that when He said, I don't want you to have any other false god or image before me. I don't want you to make anything out of the likeness of anything in heaven, anything on earth, anything beneath the earth, and make an image out of it, and either look at it or worship it. He didn't want that. But he tells them here in this particular incident to go ahead and make a brazen serpent, a serpent of brass, and put it on a pole and hold it up before the people. And then you tell the people that if they look at it, after bitten by a serpent, they would live. Now, first of all, I think we have to conclude that if he made that kind of an exception to his commandment, he had to have a good reason for doing so, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. He had to have a good reason for doing so. And also, we'd have to say that its significance had to be of tremendous importance. It had to have been of tremendous importance for God to do something like that or tell them to do something like that because he was against anything like that. Yet he told them to do it and they did it. Well, without doubt, it had a tremendous influence over the lives of the Israelites. Right there and then we know that those who looked at the serpent upon the pole were healed if they were bitten by a serpent and they were going to die because of the poison that was going through their system. They were healed by looking at that brazen serpent up there on that pole. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That's almost like God saying, here, look at this, and, and I want you to start worshiping that. But, of course, we know because we, we look back to those days and we realize that that was a type, which we won't get into right now, but that was a type. And God was trying to communicate a truth to them in doing this. Well, if you'll look at 2 Kings chapter 18.4, don't turn to it. You can just write it down for reference purposes. And you'll discover there that the Israelites went ahead hundreds of years later and actually began to worship the brazen serpent as a religious object. When they fell into sin, they rebelled against God. They were backslidden, so to speak, and... You know, they raised up altars to offer sacrifices to idols, and one of the religious objects of worship was this brazen serpent. They lifted up that serpent and exalted it and worshipped it. Well, why not? They remember what it did way back when, when anybody was bitten by the serpent, and they were dying. All they had to do was to look up at that brazen serpent, and they were healed. You know, that's pretty good. We like that, so let's just go ahead and worship that. We can relate to something like that. That's something I can see. That's something I can touch. I can feel it. It appeals to my senses. Let's go ahead and look at that. And that's what they started doing. They started idol worship. And God wasn't pleased with that. And under the ministry 
and reign of Hezekiah the king. He brought down the altars and brought down the images. And that Second Kings 18.4, it says that he destroyed the brazen serpent, serpent of brass, because they worshipped it as a religious object. So we can see then that it had a tremendous influence over the lives of the Israelites. Initially, it was proper because they looked at it, God healed. But then it became improper because they began to, to worship it as a religious object, and God was not pleased with that. Well, look at John's Gospel. If you Hold your place. Put your bookmarker over there in, in Numbers, and find John's Gospel, chapter 3. Now, from the perspective of the Jew or the Israelite, we realize today that that was a type of Christ being lifted up on the cross. And they were looking forward. They were looking ahead to redemption, to the atonement. The day when man would be delivered from the powers of, of evil. And God was trying to communicate to them that if they would look ahead to the cross, look ahead to Calvary, then there would be power in that that would enable them to be free and also to experience bodily healing because, you see, they were going to die physically because of the poison that was in them. Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 3, from the perspective of the Christian, we see that this has tremendous significance and meaning. In John 3 and verse 14... Here we see Jesus referring to the incident that took place in the Pentateuch, that was revealed in the Pentateuch. And he says, and as Moses, in verse 14, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus, right before he gives that golden Bible text, John 3, 16, makes reference to the day that Moses lifted up the serpent, the brazen serpent, upon the pole. And says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up in order to draw all men unto me. And so there's no guesswork here. It doesn't take a high degree of intelligence for one to recognize or realize the fact that Jesus was saying that that lifting up of the serpent on the pole was a type of his being lifted up on Calvary. Which means that that serpent being lifted up on a pole was a type of the atonement. I mean, that's easily understood. Amen. It was a type of the atonement according to Jesus. Calvary being the antitype. Well... I have to ask this question because in the days in which we live, we have all kinds of modern teachers teaching all kinds of different things, which makes it absolutely difficult for people that are coming into the body of Christ to properly understand the benefits of the gospel. If you turn on a radio program or even a television broadcast, you hear one fellow getting on and he's saying that healing was done away with, miracles were done away with. All that passed away when the, the apostles died. You hear others teaching that, well, if God heals, it's up to his sovereign will. But healing is not a part of the atonement or atoning work of Christ. And the average Christian out there who just gets saved is wondering, my goodness, what am I to believe? 
One says that healing is for today. The other one says that healing is not for today. The other one says that healing may be for today, depending on the will of God. Some say it's not in the atonement. Some say it is in the atonement. What am I to believe as a Christian? Can you understand how the enemy would want us to be in a place of confusion? Beloved, you can't have strong, robust faith if you're in a state of confusion all the time. And neither can I. So if I don't know what to believe, the devil has done his job. I've got to come to grips with what I believe. I've got to come to grips with what that book teaches. I've got to do the research for myself to make that determination from my own heart. So I can recognize truly what is provided for me and then base my faith on the foundation of that. And so that's what I did. I wasn't going to take what anybody else said. I wanted to look to the Word of God for myself to determine for myself just what the Word of God taught on the subject. So today we have so many teaching that healing is not in the atonement, but I have to ask this question. Is healing, if it's not in the atonement, then why did God require that the Israelites, the Jews, look to the type of the atonement in order to receive bodily healing? Why did God go through the trouble and run the risk of having him lift up that pole, full well knowing that they probably would get to a place where they would idolize it, it would become a religious object of worship, if it had no meaning, if there was no significance to it. Why would God go through the trouble of doing something like that? Well, obviously, it is a type of the atonement. And if it is, why did God require them to look at it? Why didn't he say, look at me? Well, see, what he was saying was, you're going to have to look to the cross because there's going to be one who's going to, to die on the cross for you and bridge the gap between us. That's what he was trying to communicate to them. And that's why it was so important for them to realize their need to look to the serpent on the pole. Because that definitely was a type of the atonement, the atoning work of Christ and if bodily healing is not in the atonement, then why did he have the Israelites look at the type of the atonement in order to be healed in their physical bodies? Well, obviously the answer is, the reason why he had them look is because healing is in the atonement. That's how they got healed. They didn't just go to Jehovah God directly. They looked to the pole. They did exactly what he asked them to do. He required them to look to the pole, to the serpent on the pole, and then realize that in so doing, they would experience healing for their physical bodies. Well, another thought then would be this. If the type of the atonement provided healing, and we see here that it did in the book of Numbers, and if they could receive healing by looking to the type, that's exactly what he said for them to do, you look at it, and whosoever looks will be healed, or will be saved, or will live. If that's so, and if the antitype does not provide healing, and if the antitype doesn't enable us to receive or experience healing, we can't receive healing through the antitype, wouldn't you say that places the type on higher ground than the antitype? Absolutely. And then, what that would mean is this. 
that the type is placed on higher ground than the antitype, so the type then must be false prophecy. Has to be false prophecy. Because that was prophetic. That was something that was pointing out the future. He was saying by that, that someday someone will die upon a cross, becoming the curse, just like the serpent, becoming the curse, who was cursed of God, and then, through that work of that one on the cross, not only would one be able to live spiritually forever, but also experience physical healing. Because these people, beloved, they were dying physically because of the serpent's bite. They looked to the type of the atonement, and what did they receive? Physical healing for their physical bodies. And of course, we also realize that as they continued to look, that they were saved because they were looking ahead to the cross. So everything we understand in the Old Testament is a type of something that would be fulfilled in the New Testament that Jesus would fulfill. And so one is a type, and the other one is the antitype. The type cannot be greater than the antitype. Christ is greater. And his work on Calvary is greater than Moses lifting up that serpent on a pole, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. So then, the antitype is and should be placed on higher ground in our lives. If they could receive healing by looking at the type of the atonement, how much more can we be able to receive healing by looking at the antitype? Now go on back, if you would please, to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And let's take a look at verse 8, because I believe that we can learn something here. If we'll take a closer look at the type, I believe we can learn some things that will help us to have a better look or take a closer look at the antitype so that we can learn how to receive in so doing. Now, first of all, I want to make a point clear. Let's read verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole. It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten. Let's make this point clear. No one is exempt from the serpent's bite or the possibility of being bitten by the serpent. You recall that these were bitten because of their acts of disobedience. But Paul, the apostle, was certainly was not in disobedience when that serpent came out of the bush and bit his hand. So therefore, we recognize the fact that one can be in the will of God, one can be out of the will of God, and still, he's in a place where the possibility exists that one could be attacked by the enemy. I don't know if any of you were ever attacked by the enemy, but I've had a few encounters myself. How about you? Sickness ever try to come on your body? Trouble ever start to come your way? No one is exempt from the attack of the enemy. And the sooner we get that into our thinking that there's nothing that we can do to make us exempt from being attacked by the enemy. Jesus himself was attacked by the enemy without doubt. We don't have to be overcome by the enemy. But we certainly are in a place or a position where we can be attacked by the enemy and the serpent can get a hold of us if we allow it. And so we've got to recognize the need for us to do our part to see to it that even if he tries to come our way, we are in a place or a position spiritually where we can overcome or stand victorious 
against all the fiery darts of the devil that would come against us in life. And so let's remember the fact that we can be attacked by the enemy, but we don't have to be defeated or overcome. Now notice this, when he looketh upon it, shall live. When he looketh upon it, shall live. Because one is attacked by the enemy in such a way that he can even die because of a physical sickness or a disease... There is something about looking to, in this case, the anti of the type rather, that would enable them to live and not die or receive healing. Now, in the New Testament, don't we read that sickness and disease is satanic oppression or one being bitten by the serpent, oppressed by the serpent, oppressed by the devil? Acts 10.38 says that Jesus of Nazareth was anointed of God who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And so sickness then is, is referred to as or defined as being satanic oppression. If sickness and disease is satanic oppression according to the word of God, and it can cause one to die prematurely, well then what we need to realize is that by looking to the type, these people received bodily healing so that they didn't die, but they lived. And likewise, we in the New Testament can look to the antitype and believe that by looking to it, we don't have to die. We can live even though we've been bitten by the serpent. See, sometimes people just throw their faith aside and say, well, if I've got this thing and I'm going to die... I guess it must be the will of God that I die, that I don't get well. Because if doctors can't help me, if no one can help me be cured, well, it must be evident that it's the will of God that I die. And you know that, that logic and that reasoning destroys the lives of many wonderful, sincere, and faithful Christians. I want you to hear what I said. Wonderful, sincere, faithful Christians. Didn't say that they were inferior Christians. Wonderful, dedicated, sincere, faithful Christians can still experience the serpent's bite and still can lose their physical lives prematurely unless we understand how to properly look at the antitype to receive what rightfully belongs to us through the atoning work of Christ. It doesn't make one an inferior Christian. It could mean that they were just victimized by some of the false teachings that are going on in the body of Christ that tell people, you know, that healing is done away with. You know, what, what, what you're taught when you're a young person stays with you. And sometimes, and most times, it's very difficult to get rid of. When your spirit man has been affected strongly by religious tradition and doctrine, it's hard to get rid of that stuff. It takes a lot of diligence and effort to get it out of us and get renewed in the spirits of our minds. So that we can understand this un unadulterated word of truth and apply it to our lives. And so, beloved, there are many reasons why people fail to experience the blessings of Calvary. And one, as I said, could be the fact that they were improperly taught and therefore their faith was, was really just very weak because it was, it was scattered. I mean, they, they, they were in confusion. They didn't know how to use their faith. They have faith, but they didn't know how to use it because they weren't properly taught. And so, believe me, we don't put a person down, not one soul, not one person is put down just because they died prematurely. 
and would to God that I can get that kind of an attitude across to every individual human being in the body of Christ. Because there's no room for arrogance or pride in the body of Christ. There's no room for someone looking at somebody else and saying, well, where is your faith? He'd get healed if you had any. That's ridiculous. As a matter of fact, that's playing right into the hands of the enemy. To cause more strife, division, and confusion so that people don't use their faith. And they become more defensive than anything else and just go away from it and just forget about it. We need to tell people that we're all in this thing together. How many of you like living and breathing every day? I think it's a pretty good thing. Don't you? Did you enjoy taking that breath when you get up this morning? Praise God. You can say, I'm alive. Praise God. You can say that, right? I enjoy that. How many of you enjoy the health that you have today? Absolutely. Because we appreciate life. We appreciate living. And we're all for living. We don't want anybody sick, diseased. We don't want anybody to die young. We want to live. And we should communicate that to everybody. We're concerned about people's best interest. And you know what? We're all fighting the same enemy. Will it be Satan, sickness, or disease? Even the world, the people of the world are fighting, in a secular sense, that same enemy of sickness and disease. Are they not? They absolutely are. Medical science is against sickness and disease. They want people well. That's what they're supposedly to be committed to. Nutritionists, they all want us well. We like health. We enjoy health. Well, God has made provisions for us, and I believe it's time the body of Christ take a closer look at it so that we can experience it in a greater dimension. And so, once again, it's better to teach so that we can all learn how to rather than to criticize or point the finger at someone or judge somebody who has not received from the Lord. Because that's not going to help anybody get better. If anything, like I said, it will drive them further away from the truth. It will be harder for them to get what Jesus has purchased for them on Calvary. Well, if anybody was bitten here, we saw that they were required by the Lord to look upon the serpent, the brazen serpent on that pole, and what would be the result if they looked? The Bible says right here in verse 8 that they would live. So in other words, although they would have and should have died, we're not talking about something that they would recover from. We're talking about a terminal thing. Can we understand that? They would have died, literally died, had there not been this provision of the atonement. But because of God's mercy and grace, He provided the atonement, they looked to it, and when they did, there was power in that to heal a physical body that was about to die without any help of medical science or nutrition or anything like that. It was all the work of God. In other words, there was enough power coming from the type that God provided that would enable them to be healed in their bodies without any need of help from any other source. And we can understand that. That is not speaking disrespectfully against anything that man tries to do, whether it's through nutrition, whether it's through medical science. How many of you know that you can be in the best of conditions, best fit person? You can exercise every day, have a tremendous diet, and still die prematurely. Still die young. There are those that wrote the book on nutrition and exercise and longevity, yet they died at an early age due to a heart attack or whatever. And then we wonder, well, why? I think it just demonstrates and goes to show we need God. 
I mean, thank God for all the other, but we need God primarily in all of our lives. Can you say amen? And we should not put those things up above the provisions of God. I'm going to say that again. We should never put those things up above the provisions of God. So if they would look, he said that then they would live. And what I want us to do is to look at that word looketh. Underline that in your Bible, if you would, please, if you write in your Bible. Circle it, or underline it, or whatever, or just take notes if you don't write in your Bible. Write it down somewhere. Write down the word looketh. Because that's a key word when it comes to learning how we can look to the antitype and receive from it, from the provisions of Calvary. The word looketh here is in the continuous present tense. It's in the continuous present tense tense. And what it means is a continuous stare, a continuous beholding of, a continuous gaze into. In other words, it's not just a mere passing glance. You look at it and then look away. It's talking about you look and continue to look with a steadfast look, with a steadfast gaze. With a steadfast faith, you look and you continue looking and you keep on looking. That's what it's referring to. Don't be distracted. Look at it and keep on looking at it until when? Until the healing process is consummated. Just keep looking with a steadfast faith until it's consummated. In other words, once you take that first initial look... Then keep on speaking faith. Keep on acting faith. Keep on thinking faith. Just keep faith. Think faith. Speak faith. Believe. Act in faith. And keep on in faith. Keep on looking. Let it dominate our speaking. Let it dominate. Let what you're looking at dominate your actions, my actions. And let it continue to do so until the process is consummated. It wasn't just take a glance at it and then walk away and just go on doing what you're doing wrong. It was you were bitten by the serpent. Now you look at it and you keep your eyes focused on it steadfastly until the process is consummated. And beloved, that's for the most part where the battle is lost or won. Because the enemy will always immediately come to destroy us and distract us in our thinking and believing and speaking so that we start out right, but then we get off. And as a result, the process is not consummated. And for the most part, like I said, many fail to receive healing as a result of that. So in other words, this word looketh is in a continuous present tense. Look at it and keep on looking steadfastly. Just keep looking into it. Until the process is consummated. Now another definition here of the word looketh. It means to be occupied or influenced with what we are looking at. To be occupied or influenced with what we are looking at. To be occupied. Can you once again see the fact that he's not talking about a mere glance. But something that has got to occupy our thinking. Occupy our believing. Occupy and influence our speaking and acting. It's something that we have to look into and be occupied. You mean to tell me 
Your mind has never been occupied with something in such a way that even though you have other things to do, you seemingly are always going back to the thing your mind is occupied with. Ever been like that? This is pressing, and yet you're going to go over here and do this. And you start going over there, but then you keep on going back like this. You keep on going back to that thing that's occupying your mind. Okay, it may not be with your body, but very much is with your mind. I'm trying to pray, but I'm thinking about what we're cooking for supper, you know? You know, and then here you are praying, uh, you know, Father God, I just love you. Eggs. Uh, Father God, I just, it's good to be in your presence here today, and I, I, I thank you. I'll make a tuna fish. I'll make them tuna fish. That's what I'll make them tuna because you see, until you get that thing out of you, until you get it settled in your mind that this is what you're going to make, you're trying to pray, but your mind is occupied and influenced with what you're, you're looking at. And you're looking at what you're going to cook. Make spaghetti and get it over it. Forget it. Get back to praying. <laughs> That'll settle that. But you see, it's that way when it comes to our physical condition. We long for healing it for our physical bodies, but you know, we're occupied with and influenced with the symptoms, the pain, whatever it is, the inability to whatever, perform, to do something. And that kind of occupies us and that kind of influences us in such a way that when it comes to looking at what the cross represents and what the cross provides that's only a passing glance this we become occupied with so the opposite of being occupied with Calvary would be being occupied with symptoms circumstances situations that influence our lives of course none of you have ever been influenced like that you've never been that easily distracted have you you can take it into other areas such as finances and all these different things, other areas that we, you know, encounter situations with on a day-by-day -day basis. And it's very easy to be distracted from the cross and its provisions and just get caught up in, well, we're not working or we don't have the funds or whatever it is. And so what we're talking about is this word looketh refers to our looking into something in such a way that it occupies us. It influences us, and therefore it dominates us. And the result will be what? He that looketh shall what? Live. And that's exactly what they got. They live. Now, I'm going to have you turn to this one, if you would please, Proverbs chapter 4, because I believe it's a tremendous text when it comes to receiving healing from the Lord and living. But another definition of that word looketh, looking, of course, into the ant, or looking to the type. We're looking to the antitype, but they have the look to the type. It means to give attention to. Look means attention. Give our attention to. And in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, we see that made clear to us. In verse 20 through 22, my son attend to my words. Give attention to my words. He that looketh shall live. The one that gives attention to the cross and all that it represents shall live. My son, attend to my words. Well, how do I know what happened on the cross? That's why we have to attend to the word. 
Because the Word reveals to us what happened on the cross. So can you see then if the enemy will try to get us distracted from what really happened on the cross, he can keep us in a place of confusion and our faith would be ineffective when it comes to helping us receive from God? Absolutely. For if we don't think it's been provided for us through the cross, why are we going to you know, use any kind of faith to receive it? So my son, he said in verse 20, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from before thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. And that's what he's saying. He that looks, that gives attention to my words, my commandment, what I said, what I've revealed, shall live. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Next verse, for they are life, they will live unto those that find them, and they are health unto all of their flesh. Now, just make this, write this reference down. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and verse 24, with regard to this. In that particular verse of Scripture, Jesus taught us that with what measure we attend to things, or that is His Word, by that we measure to ourselves the benefits of the blessings of God. By what measure we attend or give our attention to the word or the things it has revealed. By that we measure to ourselves the benefits of God. If we pay little attention to what the word of God says about what Jesus did on Calvary. What it says about the provisions that are made. The statements of fact. With his stripes we are healed. If we give a little attention to what the word says about that. Then we're going to have that measure. What measure? The little measure of the benefit. If we give a greater amount of attention to what happened on that cross, what the Word says about what took place, then because of giving a greater amount of attention to it, then we're going to experience a greater measure of the provision. I mean, that's understandable. I can sum all that up in, in this one statement. What a man sows is what a man reaps. You sow some corn, you're going to reap some corn. You, you sow much more corn, you're going to receive much more. And it just goes on and on. The more you sow, the more you get. Well, the more we sow with regard to giving attention to what the Word says, keep sowing it inside the heart, then the more of the blessings of God and the benefits of God we're going to experience in reality. The less, of course, means the less. Notice how God made it all fair. Jesus said it's all fair. With what measure you meet is with what measure you're going to get. However, you know, you apply yourself is what you're going to get out of it. I oftentimes will say this. You can get 30 kids and put them in a, in a schoolroom somewhere, have the same teacher behind the desk and teach all those kids the same thing. At the end of the school year, you're going to have some that are going to get A's, B's, C's, D's, and E's or F's, however, you know, you, your system goes. Well... Does it mean that they didn't give out the same information to everybody? No. It depends on how much they applied themselves. It depends on how much they were paying attention. It depends on how much attention they gave to the work and the material that they were studying. And I realize it, it also, you know, is determined by the, the perception of the person and the abilities of the person. But for the most part, I, I believe that the average person, if they applied themselves in a greater way, they'd be above average, wouldn't you say? You know that it's true as well as I do. Well, it's true with our case, you know, with regard to 
healing and, and receiving from the Lord, the benefits and the blessings of God. With, with what greater, you know, with what amount we meet, we measure out is what we're going to get in return. And so if we apply ourselves and give more attention to it, then we're going to experience a greater measure of God's miracle working power. Look at the book of Acts chapter 3. And here we'll see another meaning of the word looketh. He was telling them to look, and this definition is expectation. To look with expectation. To look and expect with great anticipation. In Acts chapter 3, we see an illustration of that. Here is a man beginning at verse 1 who is lame from his mother's womb. In verse 2, he's a certain man lame from his mother's womb. He was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes on him, with John, said, What did he say? Look on us. He, he tried to arouse the guy's curiosity and expectation level. Look on us. We're not going to come here and just give you that coin that you want. Look on us. And it implies with great expectation, with great anticipation. See, we start looking at the antitype. We look at the cross. And we begin to gaze into it. And we start to see some things in our mind's eye. It drops down into our spirit. It's becoming a reality to us. Because we are attending to it more diligently than we ever did before. We're looking at it and looking at it. And it's becoming clearer and clearer to our understanding and to our thinking. And as we continue looking... All of a sudden, there builds up inside of us great expectation and great anticipation. And excitement begins to boil up in our spirits. There's a joy, excitement, expectation, anticipation. He said, look on us. And the man gave heed. Just like Jesus said, take heed. How you hear and what you hear. Why? Because with what measure you meet, with all it shall be measured unto you. So take heed what you hear. The man gave heed unto them, expecting. He looked expecting. He looked expecting. With great expectation and anticipation, he looked upon them, and he was expecting to receive. Granted, he was expecting to receive money. But you have to realize, it's never been said before, that a man lame from his mother's womb was going to walk until Jesus came on the scene. And so there was no need for him possibly to think along any other line. It could very well be that he was one of the ones that did not receive healing, although Jesus was by there. Obviously, he didn't receive healing, but, but for whatever reason, we don't know. It's not revealed to us. Maybe he never came across the path of Jesus. I don't know. Or maybe he wasn't in a place or a position at that time even to, to begin to think about receiving from Jesus. I don't know. But I do know this. He's still lame from his mother's womb. And there's not too many that ever walked being that way. But as, as he gave heed unto them expecting to receive, yes, financial assistance, his expectation level was up there. 
Peter shifted over and took him by the right hand and said, come on up here and walk with us. He gave him that he, what we had. And Peter had the power of the name of Jesus to provide healing. Took him by the right hand, lifted him up, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He leaping up stood and walked with them into the temple, entered the temple walking and leaping and praising God. So the man looked with great expectation and anticipation as his heart was stirred by the words. Well, beloved, we also can get to that place of, of tremendous expectation where our hearts are with anticipation expecting to receive from God. And that's a part of looking diligently and attentively to the cross. Remember, we are exalting and magnifying the personal work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who is the antitype. And believe me, beloved, the antitype is worthy of more honor and glory than the type itself. For the antitype is the fulfillment of the type. Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross. He is worthy of our looking at. Looking into, gazing into, with perception, with understanding, with expectation. And then, finally, Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, with also consideration. It means to consider. Look means to consider. For he that looketh will live. He looks with continuous Staring or beholding or gazing into. He looks, meaning he is occupied and influenced by what he is looking at. He looks. He is giving his undivided attention to what it represents and what it provides, its significance and its meaning. He looks with rising expectation and anticipation, overjoyed with expectation and anticipation because he knows he's about to receive something from God. It means also to consider here in verse 17 of Romans chapter 4, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform." And what that is saying is that Abraham considered not his body, but he considered him. He considered the one that spoke to him to be greater than what his body was dictating to him. It didn't matter what his body said. It didn't matter what Sarah's body said. It didn't matter what their, their doctor said. What mattered was what God said. And the Bible says that he looked, he considered he, he weighed it out in his mind. He considered that God was true. Let man be a liar. God is true. Let my body be the lie. Let my symptoms be lying vanities, if you will. Like Jonah said in the, in the belly of the fish. He said, these symptoms are lying vanities as far as I'm concerned, for my God is greater than them all. 
And so he considered, my body says we can't have children. Your body says we can't have children. I consider not what they say. I consider what God said. I will look at what God said. I will consider what God said. And so he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but considered what God said to be above what anything or anyone else said. And the result was they lived. In other words, they received what it was that God said that they would have. They received their deliverance. And therefore, a mighty miracle was wrought through his life. The life of Isaac and, and of course, right on down through each and every one of us. For we are the seed of Abraham. Now turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of First Peter, chapter 2. And what I want us to do in conclusion is to consider, look at, gaze into, expect, continuously see some things that have been provided for us on Calvary so that we can rise to a place of tremendous faith and receive all the benefits that are ours. Our purpose is to exalt the person and personal work of Jesus Christ. Whenever people come to a meeting such as this expecting some person to be the one to provide what they need, then they're wrong and, and they're looking at the wrong thing. There are many that will travel around the country looking for some evangelist or some faith healer to pray for them so that they can receive what they want. And I'm not saying that it's, that it's improper to go to a meeting somewhere. That's wonderful because there are different gifts of healings. And different ministries that are out there and they're used in different ways and that's wonderful. But if you find yourself going from healing meeting to healing meeting to healing meeting to healing meeting yet with no help. Seemingly getting further and further and further away from what you need from God. Then it's time to settle down and get refocused. It's time to realize the possibility of exalting the, the method above the message. And the, the servant above the one who called and anointed him. And we should never do that, for we don't look to a man. We are to look to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, his person and personal work on the cross. And you see, if we deviate from that, then it messes us up spiritually, and things get you know, jumbled up inside of us, and our faith is not as productive as it needs to be in order for us to receive from God. So we want to get back to looking at Jesus. We want to get back to looking at the cross and seeing him high and lifted up. Right now at the Father's right hand with all power, glory, and might. We want to see that on the cross, as we gaze into it, He provided for us the benefits of deliverance from sin and also from sickness and disease. And if we'll look at that, then praise God, we can walk free. We'll live and will not die and declare the works and the glory of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, Jesus, who is the antitype, hanging on that tree, on that cross, there died for us. And in so doing, he provided for us deliverance from sin and its power and its awful sting. And also sickness and disease and mental anxiety. And to be frank about it, anything and everything that man needs to usher him into eternity, to be in the presence of God Almighty forever and ever and sustained upon this life until that day occurs, has been provided on Calvary's cross. If we properly view it and gaze into it. So in 1 Peter 2.24... Some things we should be looking at carefully and continuously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. 
that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. In other words, we are to continually look at this fact. The real battle, the real battle against sin, sickness, disease, mental anguish, and all these things we are faced with and confront in life, everything, the real battle was won at the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There isn't anything more that we can do to secure our victory. Jesus won the battle. Jesus overcame sin. Jesus overcame sickness and disease. Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. So the battle was won there on the cross. And we are to look into that. We are to consider that. We are to gaze into it continuously, reminding ourselves of the fact, speaking what the Word says about that, saying that when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, someone says, how do I get that tremendous faith? How do I develop that tremendous faith? Beloved, the way never changes. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. On that cross, Jesus died. On that cross, Jesus bore our sin. On that cross, Jesus bore our sickness, our mental anguish. He bore our pain. And because of the cross and because of, uh, of his becoming sin for us, he overthrew the power of Satan. He stripped him of his authority, all of his power, and the battle was won there on the cross. And we're to look at that. We're to gaze into that. And we're to keep on continuously looking at that until what? Until there comes a power. A power begins to rise up, flowing from the very throne of God into our being. As we realize it, as we recognize it, as we gaze into it, as, until we get to a place of, of tremendous expectation and anticipation that the reality of it is mine also. It's not just a fact of Scripture. It's not just a fact in the mind of God. It's not even just a fact in our own minds, beloved. It is a reality to be enjoyed by all. That's what it is. And so we look into it. And we continue looking, and we can continue looking over and over continuously until it has its proper effect upon our lives. Our spiritual condition, our mental condition, our physical condition. Praise be to God. That's what He wants us to do. Secondly, this Jesus who was victorious over all these powers of darkness, is now alive in us. He's alive in us. This victorious Christ is now living in us, the hope of glory. <clears throat> we don't have to look anywhere else. He's in me. He's in you. Let's continue to remind ourselves of the fact that the one who was victorious over death, hell, and the grave, sin, sickness, and disease, and mental anguish, and everything else that we can face in life is living inside of us. And He's here right now in me, and He's in you. Also, on that cross, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. On that cross, Christ Jesus Himself became sin. He became sickness. He became all these things so that we would have freedom, <clears throat> excuse me, from them all. So therefore, we remind ourselves and continuously look at the fact that Christ redeemed me. Say that with me. Christ redeemed me from the curse of sin 
from the curse of sickness, from the curse of disease, from the curse of mental anguish, from the curse of spiritual death on the cross. See, we are to look into that. And if I can explain this, you recall there that scripture in Proverbs where it talks about the, the path of the righteous is as the shining light that becomes brighter and brighter more and more into the perfect day. We look into it initially and we have a certain degree of light, a certain degree of light. But as we continue looking at it, our, the light that we have increases. We have more perception, more understanding, a deeper revelation of what it means. This is called coming into exact knowledge with what has been revealed to us. We know it, but we don't really know it, so to speak. It's like, well, I know her. You know, I met her once at, uh, at the store, or I met her once at, the, at one of the conventions somewhere. Yeah, I know who she is, but do you really know her? Do you really, really know that person? No, you don't have that deep acquaintance because you don't have that kind of fellowship with that person, but you do know who that person is. But the term that you use is I know, but it doesn't mean I know that person. See, well, we know Jesus bore our sickness, but do we know it? Have we come into experience reality with it? Do we really have that deep seated knowledge, that living, that living knowledge of it? And beloved, this is probably one of the biggest things that has kept many from going further in it is because we try to experience the reality of it with surface knowledge. And then when many see it, well, it didn't work, it mustn't be true, and they just go on. Many need to be delivered, and, and they try so many different ways to get deliverance, but they really fail to realize that all they really need to get delivered is an exact knowledge of the fact that they already were delivered at Calvary. Amen. Amen. That's something we're going to get into deeper. Because people are going everywhere, going through all these different things, trying to get delivered. But the most important thing they're leaving out. And if they will just do follow these steps, just the definitions of those words, look, look at Calvary, and finally come to this conclusion with exact knowledge. Christ delivered me. From the powers of darkness. Amen. Translated me out of that. Into the kingdom of love. Therefore Satan. Get thee behind me. You have no power. Over my life any longer. That settles it. That person will walk free. Try as they will other ways. They'll walk free I guarantee it. If they'll come to exact knowledge of that. We are to look. And remind ourselves of the fact that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and word of our testimony. Oh, look at the cross with me, if you would, please. Just look at it. And there he is. He died for us. His blood was shed. That blood was shed. Not in vain. That blood was shed so that we by it would overcome. It's by the blood of the Lamb. It's not by going to meeting, to meeting, to meeting, to meeting. It's by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of my testimony. I have come to realize with exact knowledge that by the blood of the Lamb I stand free. Because I've gazed into it. I've looked into it diligently. Do you see that? Steadfastly. With continuous faith. 
I conclude I'm free. Regardless of what my body says or anything else, I hold to what the word says. And by the blood of the lamb. Oh, hallelujah. And word of my testimony, I'm free. And finally, let us continue to recognize that the work of the cross completely frees us from Satan's power. And that all we, we need to do as believers is understand our authority, enforce Satan's defeat, and learn how to receive by faith that which has already been provided for us by way of the cross. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.